Hey guys, welcome to the I Hope They Hear This podcast. Today I have an old friend, Abe Kim, on as a guest. He is a youth pastor at Four Points Church. And we, we just talk about some of the things he went through in life. Um, the story of how his family moved from New Jersey to Georgia, um, the departure of his biological father, and growing up with some of the trauma he experienced related to that, and how he eventually became a pastor. So. Thank you guys so much for tuning in today, and I hope you enjoy. Abraham, how are you? I'm doing great, sir. It's, Dude, thank good, you. To, uh, it's good to see you. No, for sure. Virtually, of course. Yeah. <laughs> thank you so much for uh, being on. It's You know, it's this is a... Similar to the podcast I did with Chris Lee, um, the lawyer. Uh-huh. Um, this yes. one, it's, it's weird because... Like when I met Chris is like when I met you too, and you know you guys were right. like little middle school, early high schoolers. <laughs> but now you're you're married. You're a pastor. It's uh, yes. it's very different now. <laughs> yes, things have things have changed a lot in the last like what thirteen to fifteen years. It's pretty yeah. crazy. Yeah. How yeah. how was uh? So I need to ask you how was getting married during the middle of a pandemic. Yeah. Uh, it was. It was obviously uh, disappointing, um, but yeah, I mean, so long story short, we're supposed to get married uh, in uh, June of this year, and then uh, we had decided, hey, obviously it's a pandemic, it's, it's probably not going to be a good idea for June. Um, during this time, we didn't, I guess, expect COVID to be what it is, yeah. this was early on, and so we were like, okay, well, let's push it back to the fall of this year and maybe, you know, this will kind of just, you know, get better, I guess. So it was just being very hopeful and, and optimistic. So our second wedding date was supposed to actually be this past weekend. It was supposed to be Halloween weekend. Oh. And um, yeah, and so, but long story short, uh, like the more and more we kind of researched and we, we just knew that, you know, COVID wasn't going to go anywhere. Right. And so mm-hmm. there was for us, there was no point of um, waiting till October to get married because we just knew that it wasn't going to happen. And so for the third time, we pushed it back to the to summer of next year, like our actual kind of actual wedding. Yeah. But end of July, uh, July 31st, specifically, we we decided to do a uh, mini money, which is a new term that just started this year because of covid uh, i'm sure you've seen a lot of um our, our people that we know mutually uh do mini monies as well yeah. where it's like super 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 small super private intimate and then a lot of you know our friends are still going to do their ceremonies like next year mm-hmm. um and so that's our plan as well uh hopefully this is the third time uh so hopefully third time's a charm and we decided that if it doesn't work out this third time then it's just one of those things where we'll just have to kind of let go and you know we're already married anyway legally and in the spiritual sense as well right so yeah. um obviously if if summer of 2021 doesn't work out it'll be disappointing again but i think because we've been through the waves of emotions this year i think it's something that jess and i uh can handle and you know at this point it's really for our family and friends right because yeah uh, for the mini money, it was it was so small that it was really intimate between her and I, and we really actually enjoyed that because it's something that we didn't plan to do, but it just kind of worked out that way, and we're kind of 
you know, grateful and trying to have great perspective along the way. So, um, but yeah, keeping our hopes up for summer of next year. But if not, it's all good. You know, we're we're married and we're we've already uh, begun the marriage journey. So that's what's most important. So that's yeah. where we're at in terms of yeah our our COVID experience of getting married in, in this crazy year. Yeah, that's um, man. So it's very similar to a lot of other people. Um, their stories mm-hmm. of kind of just getting legally married and right. you know, pushing off the big like celebration ceremony till till next year. But can you imagine if this is still happening next summer? I don't know, man. That's yeah. Just the thought of that like yeah. makes me go crazy. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, like like that was actually why we pushed it back to the summer because a lot of friends that we know like pushed it back to. Um, like early next year like between february april yeah and we thought about that too doing like a spring wedding but like i said because we've been through the emotional roller coaster and kind of been through the disappointments uh twice now Mm. we were like let's try to push it back as far as possible but not like super far we're so like not end of next year but like mid next year so yeah but yeah i agree with you if 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 covid is still as bad as it is now um you know it's just one of those things where i don't know i mean there's there's at that point there's going to be bigger things that we need to be talking about than just my wedding right we were talking about the state of our country and our world which is obviously in the grand scheme more important than you know one person's Mm -hmm. wedding so yeah that would be unfortunate if summer of 2021 it's it's just as bad if not worse that would be very disappointing so yeah well hopefully um we get treatments and uh vaccines before that so that it, you know we can finally kind of go back to the norm right right for yeah sure. well Ava um, I, I today I was hoping to get kind of your life story um and I feel like I know a lot of it just because I've, I've known you for a while and I've right. witnessed parts of it right um but the parts mm-hmm. that I actually am not super clear on or not clear but I just haven't re uh, I haven't really been intimately close to you is like your process of, you know, graduating college and becoming a pastor, you know, that, that whole yeah. thing. I kind of heard from your brother um, because your brother is a uh, pastor, Namu, uh, John, Pastor yes. John. He's yes. been on the podcast several he times. He's your pastor. <laughs> right, right, right. So, For sure, yeah. Um, so like I always hear news about you through him because like, we hang out a lot. Um, but right. like, yeah, I wanted to hear from you kind of because, you know, you were always you know, very involved in church and things like that, but you were always mm-hmm. such a goofy guy. You know, you love like hype and you yeah. have very high energy. So, and I still am, by the way. I still am, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> Something's never changed, David. Something's never changed. <laughs> yeah. So, I, I just want to hear kind of the process, and and I'm not saying that people like that can't become pastors, um, but you know, sure, sure. When when people think about pastor, it's like someone very reserved and very kind of like right. your brother. Like I feel like your brother yeah. is a stereotypical pastor so um because you're not you don't really fit the mold exactly in that way i'm just interested to know kind of your journey so let's take it all the way from the beginning let's let's you know like where were you born like how was it growing up let's let's get into all that on my childhood yeah yeah yeah, yeah. um so i was born in new jersey uh i was born in wayne new jersey and raised in clifton Mm -hmm. um and then uh our close cousins, Joyce and Daniel, they lived in Paramus. And so we were really close to them uh, because our moms are sisters. And so basically raised there. Um, can you still hear me? Sorry. Yeah, I can hear you. I can hear you. Okay, cool. Sorry about that. 
Um, so yeah, born in New Jersey and uh, born there in 1991. I'm giving up my age now, which is fine. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then, yeah, I mean, most of my childhood, honestly, all I remember, um, I, I like, I think I lost your. your so if you audio. know, if you know anything about me, oh, there we go. We got it. We got it back. Oh, gotcha. Sorry. Mm-hmm. Can you still hear me? Sorry about that. No, I can hear you. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Um, so yeah, honestly, most of my childhood, all I remember from New Jersey is just a lot of snow. <laughs> uh, you know, me being kind of what you said earlier, kind of being the goofy, you know, kind of crazy kid. Like that's exactly how it was from the from the minute I was born until uh, we left New Jersey in 1998. And so, I honestly don't have a lot of memories that I can like vividly remember from New Jersey. The only two things is like definitely playing in the snow like every winter because you know the Northeast is insane in the yeah. winter. And then the second thing is uh, being at church like all the time. So it's interesting. I don't know if my brother would agree with this, but my brother and I, even though we were never uh, pastor's kids, it always felt like we were, at least from my perspective, it felt mm-hmm. like we were because I feel like we were at church more than pastor's kids, which is like ironic, right? Yeah. Um, from what I remember, my mom was like the secretary of our church. And we, we actually uh, went to a pretty large church. I think if I, don't, if I remember correctly, it was like three, 4,000 uh, person church. So it was, it was wow. very large, uh, Bethany uh, Methodist Church in New Jersey. And then, and then our father was uh, one of the worship leaders of the church. So he was basically on staff, right? And mm-hmm. so, so that's what I mean by like, it, it, it felt like we were pastor's kids, even though on paper we weren't. And so, right. yeah, so, snow outside, playing outside with my friends and stuff like that, church friends. And then literally being at church, like more than we were at home was kind of my uh, two biggest takeaways from New Jersey. Hmm. And then, you know, we moved to Georgia when I was about seven or eight. And so, you know, most of my life has been in Georgia now, what, 20 to 21 years of my life has been Georgia, which is why even though I wasn't born in Georgia, like this is where I grew up. This is where I, you know, became the person that I am because, Mm -hmm. you know, Jersey is such a important part of my life, but it didn't really like shape me into who I am. Right. So. Mm Um, it's funny though, when I meet new people, they always, they always just expect me to be, you know, born in, you know, born in Georgia because, um, you know, I'm a huge like Atlanta fan and I always like represent Atlanta as much as I can in the state of Georgia. And so when people find out that I'm, that was born in New Jersey, they're always shocked and they always ask like, how come you don't, you know, rep New Jersey or like, how come you're not like a Yankees fan or Knicks fan or whatever, all the sports teams. And I'm just like, well, I mean, I was like five or six, like I don't really you know, have anything to hold on to. So, um, you know, so yeah, that, that's kind of like the reason why Georgia is so big to me. That, that's an interesting point because I don't really know where the line is drawn for like what teams you're allowed to root for. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Cause I'm, I'm from LA. I'm so like, I was born in Korea, but I lived like from kindergarten until sixth grade. I lived in LA. And so, you know, um, for baseball, you know, when the Braves were playing uh, Dodgers, <laughs> Dodgers to to yeah. see who would go to the World Series, like for me, mm. I felt like, well, I, I'll root for whoever wins because, like, I feel like I, you know, like back in the day when Park, remember Park Chano, um, Chano Park, yeah, he was yeah. like South yeah, I Korean. I think wasn't he the first South Korean pitcher in the uh, MLB? 
I'm not sure if he was the first. I just know he's like definitely the most well known, like the right. most famous. Right. So, because when I lived there, that was when he was pitching still, and so like we would go and mm-hmm. watch his games. Um, and so like when I tell people like, oh, I don't really care who wins this game, they're like, why? <laughs> why would you not care? Like, I, and recently right, right. I took a picture of uh, my daughter Aisley in a LA Dodgers cap, and I posted I saw it. That. I saw that story. <laughs> people were that. like, take that half. <laughs> take that hat off her head right now like people are like getting upset so yeah I mean, yeah, yeah but so you're you're kind of um on the side of it's where you grew up and like where you identify as your as your hometown is that kind of how right you... right yeah gotcha and gotcha. also because you know as a five six year old kid i wasn't watching sports like i know like you know like you know my brother like he's a huge yeah. sports fan right Mm-hmm. But he, but he's interesting because, you know, he was, he's obviously six years older than me. So our experience in New York and New Jersey is, is more uh, formative for him, which is mm-hmm. probably why I assume he, you know, he, he still, you know, uh, loves all the New York teams and, yeah. and he, he supports Atlanta sports too. But, you know, um, every time you ask him if, if New York is playing Atlanta, he's going to always uh, kind of sway towards New York a little bit more, mm-hmm. which makes sense because, you know, he was probably you know, 14, 15 when we moved down here. So he, you know, he just had more, more time to kind of, um, you know, have that passion, I guess. Whereas yeah. for me, I was just running around being a, being a crazy kid that I was. So <laughs> <laughs> that's what I was doing. So how, how was the move for you? So you, you said you were seven when you moved from New Jersey to Georgia? Yeah. yeah, I was about seven or eight. Yeah. That's a big difference um, in terms of, right. you know, like, especially back then, um, most of Georgia, like the area that we live in, was like just trees and not really much, right. like nowhere to really go. It was, you know, very yeah. just. So, like, how was that transition for you? So honestly, from what I remember, um, you'll probably you'll probably realize at the end of this podcast that I have really bad memories. So, <laughs> um, whatever I say may not always be the most accurate thing. Like, I might have to fact check this with my brother later because, you know, his memory is superb, whereas mine is pretty shaky. But um, I think from, like, a, like a physical space, um, because we were in the suburbs of New Jersey, like, I wasn't, like, born in New York, the city, you know? Like, we always went to the city and stuff, and, like, you know, my aunts and, like, my like parents and stuff had businesses there and stuff like that. But, you know, for the most part, it was, like, your typical kind of suburban life. And so going from that suburb to kind of the the southern suburb, I think that part, I don't think was a huge uh, transition for me. Mm-hmm. I think the biggest transition was, um, and I'm sure you've heard the story about our family, but, you know, um, a little bit after we came to New Jersey was when we went through a lot of, uh, you know, uh, painful times as a family where my, you know, my biological father kind of just disappeared and, and, you know, my mom was left with my brother and I um, as a single mom kind of raising us on her own. Yeah. And I think that part was probably, uh, um, you know, the most difficult because, you know, we we made a big decision to move from New Jersey to Georgia. And then now our family is, you know, pretty much broken up. And, you know, we're, you know, we're in a, a new place where we don't have friends. We don't know anybody. My mom probably didn't have a lot of friends. And so I think that transition like internally as a family was what made it probably difficult. But once again, you know, when you're seven, eight, you know, obviously you're kind of naive. You just, you just kind of, you know, still play with your friends and kind of do what you do. And so I think, I think that was probably maybe a defense mechanism for myself as a young child mm-hmm. where, 
um, my brother and my mom probably had to, you know, uh, kind of take most of the blow, like most of the impact, right? Because I'm sure um, that they were, you know, trying to protect me because I was so young and they didn't want me to like, I guess, have a dysfunctional childhood, like try to keep things as normal as possible. And so right. I know that they both sacrificed a lot for probably my sake, I would, I would assume. And so for me, I think I was fortunate and lucky in that way that my brother and my mom did that for me so that I could, you know, have some sort of normalcy uh, as much as possible. Yeah. But, you know, as I got older and I, and I realized what had happened, I think when I got into my middle school, high school years was when I really like felt the pain, even though it happened like years before because I didn't have to deal with it at that time. But as I got older, I, I had to face kind of the reality of what had happened to our family. And I think that's when I probably was being a jerk and, you know, not the nicest uh, guy to be around because I think I was dealing with a lot of emotions internally. So, oh, but yeah, wow. to answer your question, from Jersey to Georgia, I don't think it was the physical space. I think it was the internal uh, family stuff that made it really hard for all of us. Wow, that's... That's yeah. so interesting because when things, you know how people say when things happen to you at a young age, like you can't really process it right mm -hmm. then and there. So it's yeah. interesting to hear from someone that I know, you know, that there was kind of a delayed reaction to that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. 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 Definitely super delayed, you know, because mm -hmm. it was probably like five to seven years after that I really started to like. I guess feel the you know emotions of anger and like abandonment and yeah. kind of all the things that uh, you know come with it. So uh, that was obviously a difficult time, but you know we got through it as a family. So yeah, have you had yeah. contact with your biological father at all? No. Uh. Uh. Wow. So yeah, since that day, uh, as far as I know, none of us um, have had contact. I personally have it. I mean, mm -hmm. I would assume my brother and my mom haven't either or i i'm sure they would have told me yeah um so yeah uh it's just was kind of uh not a clean cut but uh but a cut nonetheless and you know we've you know we've obviously moved on from that point on and kind of started a new life and you know we have an amazing stepfather who's in our life yeah. who's been our father now almost 20 years which is crazy wow. uh I believe my parents got married 2001, so next year would be 20 years mm. having um, stepfather as uh, our father, and so yeah, that's yeah. just kind of our our new blended family. So yeah, I mean, I I know your parents, and yeah, like right. they're both so nice, such sweet people. <laughs> yeah, thank you, thank you. So yes, they I, are. I I want to ask, um, was the fact that your stepfather ended up being this really just like from what I can tell, like nurturing and caring person? Was that yeah. um, like restorative for you um, from like some of the hurt that was caused by your like, biological father's departure? Um, I don't know if I would use restorative because uh, not to say anything bad about my stepfather, but I think that's I, th I think in my opinion, from my experience, other people I'm sure could, will disagree, but I think it's an impossible task for another man to try to come and replace you know like i guess your biological father yeah, yeah. no matter how amazing he is which my stepfather is amazing like you said you, you you know you've gotten to know him over the years and he's the sweetest guy and you know he 
obviously loves Jesus and loves his family and really, you know, kind of you know, lives out the gospel, and, which is amazing. But I think for me, I, I never wanted or expected him to, I guess, restore or, um, you know, take the place of my biological father because I just mm. think that's not fair. Yeah. But at the same time, I think, um, or I vividly remember, like, the first, um, the first few months that my mom was dating him, like, before they got married, I remember vividly, like, just hating him so much. And it was nothing that he did. It was nothing that he said. Like, he wasn't a bad guy. He's still the same guy he was then and now, which mm. is a sweet man. But for me as a young boy, because... I was still going through the emotions now having to deal with, okay, like my father left me, but now I'm dealing with essentially gaining a new father. Like it was, it was a lot for like a young, a young boy to kind of handle the, you know, emotions of that. Right. Cause it kind of yeah. happened. I mean, it didn't happen quickly. It happened a few years after, um, you know, my mom was single for a little while, but you know, like in the grand scheme, like it happened quicker than I'm sure people expected. And so, um, yeah, it wasn't fair to my stepdad, but, like, I just hated him in the beginning. Mm. I always gave him a hard time, like, on purpose. I was just a brat. Um, and, you know, he, in respect to him, he took it, you know. He didn't, like, lash back or, like, you know, why are you, like, doing this? Like, I think he understood why I was the way I was. Um, I think he could tell that, you know, I was just a young boy who was hurting. And, you know, it was hard to accept the fact that there was a, a new kind of male, older or a male father figure in my life that I had to kind of deal with. And so, um, but over the years, I think, you know, as, as I matured and I, as I kind of came to grips with the reality of our family, um, you know, it, you know, uh, things got a lot smoother and better, but, yeah. um, but yeah, I could, yeah, but I could never expect a man to, I guess, kind of be in the restorative role to answer your question. Right. Uh, not because of the man's character, but just because, I think that's a really difficult ask of anybody to, you know, come into a, to that kind of situation and, and expect to do that. And so that's just kind of where I'm at with uh, my relationship with my stepfather and kind of the whole um, yeah, history of it. Yeah. Wow. You know, the thing I, I really enjoy about doing this podcast is I've known you like years, like decades now, right? <laughs> yeah, but like, yeah, we've never... Time. I've never actually asked you that conversation. Like, I never asked you that yeah. question. You know, we never had yeah. the conversation about. But wow, that's it, thanks. Thanks for that. Uh, thanks for uh, the honesty and yeah. um, vulnerability there. Yeah, because yeah. um, um, one of the things that I talked to your brother about, I think one time is, um, like whenever you your father does something like that's not good, you get this fear that is that part of whatever part of him that caused him to do that thing like is that in me you know mm -hmm. so like have you have you struggled with that like i mean of course you're you know you would never like leave your family or anything like that but have you mm -hmm. ever had to like grapple with the fear that is there something inside me that might cause me to do something like this in the future or anything like that oh absolutely mm -hmm. um now i don't want to i don't want to speak for my brother or my mom mm -hmm. but for me uh, growing up, I always knew that I was like my biological father's like mini me. Mm. Like, even though obviously me and my brother, like we have the same parents, all that thing. Like, I think personality wise, I would argue that my brother and my mom are extremely similar in just the way they think, the way they kind of 
deal with emotions and deal with things. Where, and then I think me and my biological father, as far as I remember, and from the things that my mom has told me about kind of his personality and stuff, I think positive and negative both, um, I think we have a lot of similarities. And so for me, growing up as a young boy, dealing with the emotions, uh, the pain of, of being abandoned by my father, but then finding out as I get older, kind of the same mannerisms, the same kind of goofiness, kind mm -hmm. of the loud um, center of attention kind of personality, like that's who I am, right? And, and that's exactly what my dad was too. And so, yeah, it's been, it's been a very difficult journey for me because I appreciate the positive qualities that he's, I guess, handed down to me, whether it's genetically or just through, you know, me observing him as a kid. Mm -hmm. But then equally, I, it, it instilled a lot of fear and insecurity in me because I felt like I was a carbon copy of him. And, and then that, you know, kind of spiraled into like, man, what if, what if I, you know, make the same mistake when I get married or when I have kids, you know, wife, and obviously I'm married now, but this was, you know, thoughts that I had like in high school and college, like, yeah. you know, what's my future going to be like? Am I going to essentially give up when things get hard, kind of like he did, you know, am I going to kind of continue that, uh, what I what I define as generational, you know, cycles, generational curses. Right. Um, and so, yeah, that that part has been probably one of the, the most difficult uh, hurdles that I've faced in my entire life. Hmm. And now that I am married, um, you know, it's it's even more in the back of my mind. I don't like think about it actively all the time, but I know that it's that kind of fear and that kind of insecurity is still lingers in the back of my mind but um yeah but i think my relationship with jess is amazing and we've obviously grown together and mm -hmm. and separately or, or or individually over the years and you know i've had those conversations with her and i've had you know you know some therapy and stuff like that to just kind of um get over that hump and get over that fear that i'm not going to continue these negative trends and you know cause kind of that pain upon my family and mm -hmm. so, yeah, I mean, right now, you know, we've only been married for a few months and, you know, God willing in the future, we'll have kids. And mm -hmm. I think even then, I'm sure it'll be another challenge of, you know, now that we have kids in our lives, you know, um, it's, you know, like the stakes kind of get higher. Right. And so right. I'm sure you can attest to that being kind of a newer father as well. Yeah. And so, yeah. Oh, wow. So like, I think that's great that you had those conversations with Jess because, um, yeah, I, I think it's easy to hide those things away and just try to deal with it yourself. But that tends to like fester if you do that. So mm -hmm. it's great that you had those conversations. And, and you, you yeah. said you like spoke to a therapist about that. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I, would you say to, that? Yeah, I mean, would you say that that was helpful? Yeah, I think I think for me, uh, yeah, therapy, you know, like I haven't done like a lot of it. Mm -hmm. um, I think that's it's more of a recent thing, like in the last year or two. Um, but I think for me, uh, what I realized was the most helpful is that I became more self-aware to understand that um, I'm a very strong external processor. So I'll have like thoughts in my head, but then when it comes out, it doesn't really make sense until I say it. And then I kind of slowly put the pieces together and then I kind of, you know, understand what I'm trying to uh, communicate, mm. uh, 
you know, whether it's to, you know, a leader or Jess or, you know, whoever in my life. Yeah. And I think therapy is a good uh, tool for that, right? Because you are just in a safe place where you can kind of just, you know, say what you feel and say what you're going through and, and share about your experiences. And then, you know, you know obviously, you know, they help you uh, to kind of, you know, put those uh, pieces together and kind of understand um, your emotions and, you know, the things that you've been through. And so, um, yeah, so that's been helpful for me. Um, mm. And so, yeah, it's been, it's yeah. been good. Sorry, I, I didn't mean to, like, pry, but um, no, as, like, I, as this podcast is mainly, the, the audience is mainly Korean Americans, Asian Americans, um, mm-hmm. like, there's a big, you know, stigma around therapy for, like, mm-hmm. our culture, right? And I'm a big advocate for therapy. Um, it's, I've had many people on who spoke wonders about like how therapy really changed their lives. I, I'm actually considering therapy myself as well. Um, so mm. I, I just wanted to get, a, get that out there um, for anyone listening who, who um, is struggling through anything kind of mentally, internally. Um, yeah, therapy is... Uh, yeah. I, I have not met a single person who's regretted going to therapy yet. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, thanks for sharing that. And honestly, yeah. for me, yeah, of course. Honestly, for me, just the last part about therapy, I think mm-hmm. all the credit goes to my wife, Jess, because, um, you know, she's the one that kind of, you know, helped me, you know, kind of, you know, kind of, you know, uh, push me towards that, kind of encouraged mm-hmm. me to do that because she knows, like I said, I'm an external processor and, and I kind of need that safe space for me to just kind of say what I want to say and, you know, and not feel judged or not feel a certain type of way because of it. And it's so like if you think about therapy, it's so interesting, right? You're literally talking to a stranger. I mean, unless you're, you know, unless you're kind of linked up with somebody that you already know who is a therapist, then that's different. But I would argue a lot of probably people that we know, you know, their therapist, somebody that they didn't have a prior relationship with, right? Mm-hmm. But when you think about it from like an outside perspective, it's such a crazy thing. Like you're literally just essentially opening up your life to a stranger, right? A, a professional who's who's kind of licensed to do that. And so, you know, at first, um, you know, it was a little weird and just a little like awkward, I'm sure at first for a lot of people, but I think, you know, once you kind of do it, it's just one of those things where you have to, you know, at least try, at least experience it. Right. And, and, you know, like you said, you've, you've never talked to somebody who was like avidly against it after they experienced it, you know, and maybe it's not for everybody. I don't know. You know, I can't speak for everybody, but I think it's one of those things where you really don't know until you try. So, yeah. Uh, but yeah, all credit to my wife for, you know, obviously, you know, she's had her journey and that, and I got to witness kind of her growth through therapy. Mm. And I think that's what ultimately pushed me to kind of do it myself because I, I saw the fruits of it. I saw the positive kind of results that came from it. And I was like, oh man, that would be uh, good for me to try too and so yeah. that was kind of the reason that got me started so wow dang. that's awesome yeah. So, so yeah just kind of going back to your life story um let's let's go to you know you're struggling with all of this kind of throughout high school but um let's go to like college and how from college and like graduation like how you um got to the point of man i feel like god's calling me to become a pastor yeah so a story of how i got into ministry essentially yeah um so it's a pretty long story but i'll do my best to kind of you know keep it uh very simple you can make it as long as you want (laughs) gotcha gotcha um yeah so i went to georgia uh, state university Mm -hmm. in um in atlanta um graduated 2009 and then um 
pretty much I was in college for about two, three years and I was studying psychology because I was interested in doing like counts, like kind of like therapy. Like I wanted to be a counselor or like a therapist, essentially. That was kind of one of my goals. Hmm. And uh, a little sidebar, that's still a possibility. Like I, I'm still open to that, like that I'll go back to school and kind of get a accounting degree because mm. I'm really passionate about that. And um, I would love to, you know, kind of be that safe space for other people, mm. uh, which is which is cool because as a pastor, you you're not really a counselor, but, you know, there's situations where you are kind of forced to be one and you you, right. know, you provide a safe space. For me, obviously, it's for students, uh, middle school, high school students, because I'm a youth pastor. And so uh, but anyways, um, so, yeah, I was studying psychology in college. And and even though that was kind of my plan, um, I still felt unsure about it. Like it wasn't this like convicting thing of like, oh, man, this is what I'm going to do the rest of my life. Right. Mm-hmm. And so um, pretty much when I was like 20, 21, um, you know how, you know, 21 is a big age. It's like, you know, I guess the age where you can drink and stuff, but it's yeah. more so like an age where you like really like kind of in the world and you're really kind of like, you know, figuring out what you want to do with your life. And I would say, uh, I don't want to like make it too dramatic, but around that time, uh, I was really uh, kind of lost in my life, um, mm-hmm. both spiritually, uh, personally, kind of like career-wise, school-wise. I was just kind of going through the motions, right? Um, and I didn't really know what I was going to do with my life. Like, it really came to that point where I was like, man, like, I really am struggling with this. And like, I don't, I don't know if I should finish college right now because like, I can go ahead and graduate, but if I don't like necessarily have a plan, I don't, I don't really like see the point. Right. Mm. And so during that time, um, a lot of my friends, uh, were doing this, uh, missions, uh, program called YWAM. I'm sure you've heard of it, right? It's mm-hmm. called, it stands for youth with a mission. It's one of the biggest like nonprofit missions organizations in the world. And a lot of my friends were, uh, going to this program called, uh, DTS, which is discipleship training school. And essentially, the school is a six-month program. Uh, you, you travel to one of their bases, which is like there's hundreds of bases all around the world. And you kind of go through like Bible training. You go through like missions training. It's just kind of a time for like reflection, self-growth. So it's like a really good like time where you just kind of get away from your uh, normal life and kind of just, you know, learn more about God, about yourself. And then the, the second half of the program, which is about two and a half months, mm-hmm. uh, you're actually sent out to uh, the mission field to do missions. So, so for my team and I, uh, we ended up going to India. And so, so yeah, in uh, end of 2012, I made a decision to take a break from college and do this YWAM uh, program. And then I ended up going in early uh, 2013, and then I ended up coming home end of 2013. And so uh, that was when I was like 22 years old. And so those six months was definitely the uh, kind of the changing uh, point in my life because I had so much time to reflect. I really grew as a person, as a man. Um, I really kind of reflamed my faith in in, in God. And so, um, so yeah, that was just a really uh, pivotal time. And it was during this six months that... I really felt convicted and called to uh, go into the local church. Um, it didn't necessarily mean that I had to be a pastor, but 
I always knew that I wanted to invest into the youth mm. because for me, one of the reasons was because when I was in youth group, um, you know, granted, I had my brother, I had other, um, you know, strong male role models in my life. But I just remember like in the church. Um, and I want to say this carefully because I don't want to like, you know, put a negative tone to it. But yeah. for me personally, I didn't I didn't have like strong I guess like spiritual leaders in my life during that time during youth group Mm -hmm. and um and so so yeah like when I got older into college like you said like I was a bible study teacher and stuff like at SKBC we were were, you you were teachers together and that was always just a passion of mine right and I've always loved church I always love giving back I love like uh you know, younger kids um, just kind of investing into their lives. And so uh, that was always kind of like on the on the back of my mind. But I never thought that that would translate into being like an actual like, you know, paid on staff at a church, like being a pastor. But um, it's funny. So literally the first week that I was um, at my program, the first month I was in Hawaii, which was awesome, right? I mean, I mean, yeah. who doesn't want to? Who doesn't want to be in Hawaii and you know learn about God and and worship and re- read the Bible and go to the beach every day, right? And mm-hmm. so I was al- already in like La La Land and just enjoying myself. But uh, the first week, I met um, all the guys that were like uh, part of my uh, training school, mm-hmm. and I just and I just like you know clicked with them right off the bat. Like they became brothers, like literally, like instantly. But what's really funny is that uh, I had gotten there first, right? And one of my buddies, his name is Isaac. He's actually lives in North Carolina. But literally the minute he walked into the room, this, it, and let me remind you, this is the first time I've ever met this guy. Like I've, I never knew him before, right? Mm. He walks in and I'm in mid-conversation with another one of the guys. And he stops me in my conversation and he goes, Hyung, because because he's younger than me, right? Yeah. He's like older brother. He's uh-huh. like, Hyung. And I'm like, what? He's like, bro, you you sound and look and act like you're going to be a youth pastor one day. And I was just like, wait, <laughs> what? Like, how do you, like, how does that even, how does that statement even come out of your mouth? Like, it was just the most odd way to get to know somebody, right? Like, imagine if some stranger came to you and just was like, hey, this is what you're going to do with your life. You're just like, dude, you're crazy. Like, I don't even know you, bro. Yeah. But for whatever reason, like, like I know, I mean... To this day, I don't know if he was joking or if he just felt like saying that or he thought it was funny or whatever, but that moment always stuck out to me. Wow. And I'm not saying that was like the reason I became a pastor, but mm-hmm. I was like, I mean, that's just kind of crazy. Like, I, I, I mean, I don't know. Was it God speaking through my friend or was it just my friend being a fool? I don't know. But it obviously did something in my heart that it made some sort of impact on the decisions that I made, mm-hmm. you know, like in the coming years. And then, so after that, you know, like I went through the program and then, like I said, on the last two months of our, of our program, we were in India and while we were in India, we were doing like local missions and like kind of reaching out to the local people and stuff like that. But a lot of, there was a lot of time, like a lot of free time that we had in between kind of things that we had to do. And so that was, uh, one of the best times of my life, not because I was in India, not because I was doing missions, but because I had all this time that I was like literally focusing on my relationship, you know, with God. Like I was really like praying a lot. I was reading the Bible like all day, every day, which is something that 
I wasn't really doing before I got there, right? Mm-hmm. It was, I was just busy with life and I never uh, really invested into my relationship with, with, with God. And so while I was in India, I had almost too much time to pray and reflect about what I wanted to do, right? Because like, remember, one of the main reasons that I went was selfishly because I had no direction in my life and mm-hmm. I wanted to come back from this program at least with some sort of direction. And I was really praying to God to just, you know, just give me the next step. I'm not asking you to give me everything. Just give me the next step. Like, you know, what is it that you have for my life? What is it that you created me for? Like, like in terms of like, I guess like jobs and like career or whatever. And every time, every time I I had that conversation with God, like church was always something that just kind of popped up in my head. It was never this, like, it was never this crazy biblical moment where like, you know, I heard like the voice of God, like audibly or, or, or something like crazy, like this overly spiritual thing. It was just like yeah. this, this, it was just like a simple, like, you know, like, you know, being a leader or being a pastor or, or being in the church. Right. And, uh, for me, uh, overseas missions was a really difficult experience for me. And like, you know, a lot of missionaries will tell you that they feel called to like, you know, go to Africa or go to Europe or Asia and be like a full-time missionary. And I knew through that experience that that was not something that I wanted, that I felt like I was supposed to do, you know? Mm. Um, and so, so yeah, long story, I mean, long story kind of short, uh, that was kind of the beginning of how I felt that, um, you know, going into the local church and being a leader in the church um, was something that I wanted to do and I felt like a, a really peace at it mm-hmm. or, or, or a lot of peace about it and so so yeah uh, when I came back uh, I obviously finished at uh, Georgia State about another year and a half and mm-hmm. then after I graduated I took a little bit of a break about a year year and a half I was just working helping my parents out and then in 2016 was when I um, started seminary to get my master's of divinity which uh, you know uh, pretty much every every pastor gets um, if right. they want to I guess like have the credentials of a pastor you go to seminary and get your MDiv and so yeah 2016 I started at Columbia Theological Seminary over in Decatur Georgia Mm. Um, yeah graduated in about three and a half years and I finished last year actually yeah December of 2019 was was when I graduated so it hasn't even been that long but it feels like I've been out of seminary for a very long time Mm. Um, but yeah that's kind of the I guess genesis of my journey of becoming a pastor which is something that i i and my family and my friends and like you were saying um i definitely thought i was the last person that would <laughs> kind of fit this role mm. and uh but you know i guess god had a plan and i'm just trying to be as faithful as i can to it and mm. um but at the same time i don't like to like box myself in like i feel like when people say like you're gonna have this job or career like that they expect you to do it for your whole life mm-hmm. and maybe i will like i'm not saying that i won't but i'm not saying that i will either you know i'm, I'm really just trying to take it like year by year and yeah. really just be faithful to what i believe god wants me to do and if that's you know being a youth pastor for like 40 50 years then you know by his grace i'll do it but if not you know i'll i'll, I'll try my best to be open and flexible to you know whatever seasons lie ahead so yeah um so yeah that's kind of how it started would you say that your brother had any influence um, in your decision to, well, I guess it's not really a, just a straight up decision on your part, right? Because there's an actual calling yeah. from God, right? But yeah, would you say that in in whatever small fashion um, that your brother, I mean, being a pastor, influenced yeah. you? 
So, if anything, knowing that my brother was already a pastor when I was kind of going through this season that I just shared about, mm-hmm. uh, that actually made me not want to do it more. Not because of him, but because I was like, I never imagined both him and I essentially having a similar job, like in the same field, which is, you know, ministry, the church. Mm. Um, and, you know, I had, you know, like, honestly, I had to have really tough conversations with my mom about it because not to say that, not to say that she was like against me being a pastor, but I just think that because my brother was already in that field mm. and, you know, just to be completely blunt, you know, it's not uh, the easiest field to be in, you know, yeah. ministry is very difficult and, a lot of sacrifices have to be made and you don't really ever get credit for what you do. You just, you just be faithful as best as you can. And I think my mom being kind of the protective mom that she is, she didn't, I guess, want me to go through that. Mm. Um, and I never asked her why, but I would assume it's because, you know, my brother was already doing that for a few years by the time that I was kind of making that decision for myself. Yeah. But as far as, but as far as, but as far as my brother, I mean, you know, I mean, you know, I mean, he's, you know, he's always going to support what I do. I mean, obviously, as long as it's not like something stupid or like <laughs> illegal or whatever, like as long as it's like reasonable job, like I don't think I wouldn't, I would never assume my brother would be like, Abe, I don't think you should do that mm-hmm. unless he really felt like it was the wrong direction. So yeah. I don't, I don't vividly remember like the conversation I had with him. I don't even think it was more me asking him or like confiding in him. I think it was more me just letting him know that that was the decision I was making. I think he kind of respected it like man to man. Cause at that point, you know, I was a little bit older and I think it was less of like older brother telling me what to do. You know, it was more of, Hey, like if that's what you feel called to do and that's what you want to do, like, obviously, you know, you know, we're going to support you the best we can. And so, yeah. Um, but yeah, it was interesting because yeah, because he was a pastor first, obviously he's older. Uh, that, that probably, was a hurdle that I had to get over initially. I was like, oh man, like my parents are going to have like, you know, two, like both their sons, they're yeah. only two kids in the same field. Like that's going to be, that's going to be interesting. Right. And so yeah. that was, that, that was tough in the beginning, but you know, I, I got over it and it kind of was what it was at, um, at that point. Yeah. Okay. Uh, that was going to be my next question. Like your parents mm-hmm. reaction um to yeah. to that so that, that's interesting and because i can understand your parent your mom's perspective too right because sure i mean let's take a moment to appreciate pastors right now because pastors have <laughs> such a difficult job right because yeah um, you think on paper their job description is just give a sermon every sunday but it's so it goes mm-hmm. so beyond that right yeah you, you know you have you, like you were saying you have to be a counselor at times you have to yeah, I mean, you, there's you're juggling so many things. You have to work all the logistics like within the church. You know, sometimes you're like doing budgeting stuff. Like you have to wear so yeah. many hats. Um, and let's be honest, the payoff isn't that great. You know, it's not the most lucrative yep. career, right? Um, <laughs> no, it's not. Yeah. yeah, but so yeah, you get you you have to be a special type of person to, you know, really, yeah, be willing to give of yourself so much, um, yeah. for others. So thank you, Abe, for uh, yeah for that and for all the pastors out there shout outs to you guys too because yeah you guys definitely don't get enough credit for for everything you guys do yeah so and i'm only i'm only like two and a half three years in right like mm-hmm. imagine 
my brother who's been doing this for like a decade, like a lot of my leaders and mentors, they've been doing this for 20, 25 years, right? And I'm over here already complaining <laughs> after three years. Look at it. If you listen to this podcast, uh, I'm a very, I'm very young in this game. I'm just getting started. I'm only a third year. So, uh, you know, it, it, it'll be fun and interesting to see how things unfold in the next decade or so. So yeah. we'll see. So, and... I wanted to ask because the church that you're in is kind of unique too, right? In the sense that mm -hmm. um, when you think of a Korean pastor, um, even if they are part of an English ministry, it's always attached to a Korean ministry church, right? So yeah. your brother, for example, my pastor, he is the English ministry pastor of Sugarloaf Korean Baptist Church. And so we're right. like, we're kind of connected, right? Um, we're like, mm -hmm. I guess we're sister churches, but we're very much connected, right? Right. But the church that you're at is actually a, um, it's international, but it's a predominantly Asian American congregation that doesn't, right. that isn't really connected to a other Asian American language speaking church. Right. So, right. so how's that been? Because like you were, you were saying you, you served at SKBC, so you know that side of it, but going to Four mm -hmm. Points, um, which is a, in, english-speaking asian-american do you guys even call yourself an asian-american church yeah so it's asian-american but the term that we use a lot is third culture mm. and what that means is like you know a lot of us are chinese-american korean-american filipino-american right? right and so a lot of um a lot of our generation like you know you and i like our age right we identify with our asian roots but majority of us were born in america and so we don't quite fit into that, like, I guess, fob Asian role, whatever you want to, uh, you know, label it. Right. But then on the flip side is like, we're, we, we are born in America. So we're American by, by like the legal term. But then I guess, you know, in a predominantly, I guess, you know, white America, like we don't quite fit in either. Right. Like, right. you know, like a lot of us were like embarrassed to like, I don't know, bring kimchi or something to school because we don't <laughs> want like our friends to make fun of us right they're like oh like why are you bringing that like weird you know what i mean so yeah, it's like yeah. you never quite fit into one or the other you're not like you're not asian enough but you're not american enough right. so then that's where the t t term third culture comes in where you're kind of balancing those two worlds and that's kind of the struggle that you are in and so our church we attract a lot of people that uh kind of um, understand that that kind of push and pull between our kind of two um you know worlds that we try to juggle and so mm. Yeah, so Asian American third culture, uh, a lot of our uh, members are, you know, American born, uh, second gen, third gen, um, Asian American. So it's it's definitely a a unique um, position for sure. It's a unique church, uh, mm. definitely, especially in the context of Atlanta, because we see a lot of just Korean American or like Chinese American. It's like very much the not divided, but you know, uh, very different. Yeah. Um. So kind of putting all those worlds together has been. Uh, definitely interesting for me the last few years yeah because when i think about the youth group students that i've taught in the past um the one common trait is that they have a lot of a lot of their struggles center around the fact that their parents culture and the culture that they're growing up in are kind of at odds right and they're pulling mm -hmm. they're being pulled from each direction and just right. like for me like i i had a um a lot of it not issues but you know, I growing up it was a struggle that my parents didn't speak English um, things like mm -hmm. that so 
when I think of youth, Asian American youth students, I think of those kind mm-hmm. of struggles. But like your students don't, kind they they kind of have a different type of upbringing, right? Because their parents oh, are absolutely fluent English speakers Af- and all that, right? Right, absolutely, yeah. So, uh, I would say all of my youth parents, a majority of them, uh, were either you know born in America or they moved here at a very young age. So they are, you know. They were educated in America. Like a lot of them went to great schools, like um, your alma mater, Georgia Tech. Yay. I know a few parents that went there. <laughs> a few of the other parents went to Ivy League schools. Mm-hmm. So the so the expectations are very high there. Um, so yeah, uh, language barriers is zero issue, non-issue at our church mm. because, like I said, uh, my students' parents all speak English. They're all um, American, you know, Western educated, and so they're you know you don't have that. Um, that you know barrier or separation and so um, and even and even from a church standpoint you know this is obviously before COVID but um, you know the youth students uh, we actually worship with the entire church and then we have like a separate youth Bible study after service but before youth groups you know like you know Bible study separate stuff happens like everything is um, intergenerational so worship together um, I remember when I first came, like a few of the youth students were on the worship team. So they're like leading wow. worship for their parents and, you know, like young adults and every like the entire church. And so that's obviously an advantage that we have. And we try to, you know, um, really cultivate that like in a healthy way of the intergenerational aspect and allowing, you know, the students and parents to worship together and and you know, have them be, uh, you know, a part of the church as opposed to being always um, separated. So, mm. oh, that's, so that's definitely cool to see. Yeah, because yeah. that obviously doesn't really happen much to a for a, a congregation that has a split in the language that they speak, right? Um, there's, like for mm-hmm. me, I, mm-hmm. I don't think I, I, besides on special occasions like Easter and Christmas, I never really worshipped with my parents because they were in the Korean right language service and i was in the english language service also oh that's interesting yeah. wow yeah hey let's let's give it a if, shot oh go ahead yeah sorry go ahead mm-hmm. no, i was just gonna say, i was just gonna say if we're being super honest right like even when i was at sugar Love, i know that we always did the combined like km and em things and you know it's it, it's tough right because like i remember my brother would have to like do a sermon and like do korean and english both at the same time and i'm just yeah. like oh man like this is you know it's tough but you know Obviously, the efforts are appreciated, and I know that that's something ongoing, kind of in the you know uh, immigrant uh, churches. But mm-hmm. for but sure, yeah, um, yeah. I just remember, I remember those flashbacks when I was with you at church. We would always have to do the Christmas performances <laughs> and stuff, and then everything's in Korean and everything's in English, and then we're yeah. like, it's like eight hours long, and we're just like, yo, when are we going home? Man? <laughs> yeah. like, I appreciate the effort, but dude, it's like nine o'clock at night. Like we got school tomorrow, yeah. Sunday night. So. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I was just I just had that memory in my mind of 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 when we were serving together. So yeah, it's good times, good times. <laughs> uh, yeah, let's let's give a shout out to your church. Um, four points. It's uh, yes. the number four points with the E and with points with the E at the end. Correct, um, correct. Four points with E at the end. You guys are in a is it Sandy Springs area? Yeah, yeah. So we're actually in Dunwoody, Georgia. Dunwoody. Um, mm-hmm. It's really yeah. It's like at the edge of Sandy Springs, but it's. Right across the street from uh, Perimeter Mall. Mm. And, you know, obviously right now because of COVID, everything is online, live stream. And so, yeah, uh, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, 
uh, Four Points. And then website is just www.fourpoints.org. And so, yeah, if you guys, if you guys are ever interested, obviously Four Points is is um, yeah great place um, if you're looking for a, a home church. So yeah, a, a lot of the yeah. kind of younger like our age people who are looking for home churches, I actually refer, mm-hmm. refer them to uh, Four Points because, you know, you guys oh, are wow, doing such you, a, a new thing there. A new yes, in the sir. sense, I think in like New York and like like those other bigger cities, they have mm-hmm. these type of churches. But in Atlanta, at least, there aren't many um, yeah. Asian American churches that are pure like English speaking, you know. so That's so true. That's so yeah. true. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I know you mentioned your wife quite a bit, um, and even though I don't know her that well, I actually yeah. uh, feel like I know her because I used to listen to her on the uh, the KTL podcast a lot when, when yeah. she was on. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I, how was how was that experience for you? Because I know um, you weren't on it, but you were always kind of in the background, right? Like you were in the studio All for the podcast. Yeah. Yeah, 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 I was just yeah, I was always just hanging out in the room. Like I didn't say anything or do anything. Maybe. I think one of the episodes, like I chimed in as a joke, like one yeah. time, but yeah, I was yeah. just there to support and hang out and listen to kind of the stories of people and their guests. And so, yeah, I was yeah. just kind of in the background hanging out, yeah, not doing I, much. <laughs> I miss that podcast. And yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Why, why did they stop? Do you know why they stopped? Was it just a... I actually do not. I actually mm. do not know. I think I'll probably say business of life. I don't know if that's, right. a, that's a fair answer, but... I'm gonna assume that's part of the reason why like, everyone just kind of kind of got busy and it was difficult yeah. to keep up with it. I think it's I think it's hard when you have, you know, like multiple hosts, right? Because like right. I know for you, like it's your podcast and you host it alone, right? So like if you're not there, then it's probably not gonna happen unless you have like a special guest or something. Mm-hmm. But I think when you're trying to juggle probably multiple schedules, like if there was three different Davids and you're trying to like put it all together, I'm sure. Um, there's challenges there so i mean yeah. I, w- I would assume that's probably the probably the main reason so yeah, yeah that, that's a good yeah. point because they they had kind of a round table of hosts and right. for me right. i just record whenever i want you know like <laughs> i just schedule with the guest and you just record whenever um so it's easy right. for me but yeah so i mean hey tell so, your tell your wife that uh, i i uh, really enjoyed listening to her while, while she was on on the case oh yeah podcast. i definitely will yeah i definitely will thanks man yeah, yeah. um so we're uh, just around the hour mark um and i wanted to ask you um if if, you know there's anything you just wanted to share on that apart from what we talked about no so it's actually something that i that we did talk about um it's kind of going back to um what you were saying kind of in the beginning at the intro i believe Mm -hmm. um it was it was basically the part where you were kind of like you know um and don't feel bad about this because your reaction is is similar to many people's reactions mm. when they first found out that I was like I guess going to be a pastor and going to ministry like mm. like I would agree that that's probably not the first thing that most people who know me well like like yourself mm. would would guess like kind of my my journey to be and for whatever reason when I was when I was first making the decision like just like you know 4 or 5 years ago uh, for whatever reason, uh, I think, I think that bothered me in the beginning, mm-hmm. because, because, honestly speaking, my personality is like I, for whatever reason, I'm like I guess more pessimistic at times than optimistic, even mm-hmm. though that's a 
weird trait for a pastor to have, but that's just me being super honest. Yeah. And I think when I heard people like when I when I heard the shock in people's voices, I always took it as like a negative thing, like like do they think I'm not like good enough for it or do they think that I can't do it? You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. it was kind of those like those inner thoughts that I had in my mind. Uh but over the years I kind of just realized that, you know, like I understand that um I guess people have certain views and expectations of what a pastor should look like or act like or or be. Um and so in the beginning I kind of took it as a negative thing, right? But then as I've gotten older and, and as I've kind of matured into my role and I've become secure in in what I am and what I'm doing and I don't necessarily, you know, I guess um you don't need people to like su- you know to like actively support it i just kind of know like i've i've inner peace about it mm. um i kind of flipped it into a more of a positive thing like i actually don't want to be your whatever whatever your personal definition of what a pastor should be like i don't want to be that mm. um and i don't know why i don't know if it's like the inner like um i don't know just the inner person in me that just doesn't want to like fit the mold of what people want me to be yeah. because I think for me I'm such a and you probably know this I'm such a people person right like mm-hmm. I love to you know obviously socialize I'm like the loudest guy usually at a at a at a social gathering like you can never miss Abe because he's first of all he's like 6'4 <laughs> so you can't miss him and then secondly he's like super loud right and I'm just talking all the time and so um but yeah I think mm-hmm. uh for me um, I've had to come to grips with the fact that fair or unfair, people will always have expectations of you as a pastor. Mm-hmm. And I would, I would argue that any pastor listening to this podcast would agree, right? And I'm sure everyone has their own journey of how to kind of deal with that. Mm-hmm. Um, now, that's not, now, that's not me you know, using that as an excuse to like, you know, do something stupid or be like, oh, like, I'm going to go do this, but, you know, like I'm a pastor or whatever, right? Like that, right? That's not what I'm saying. But I just think that, yeah, fair or, fair or unfair, there is this unspoken expectation that people have of you as a pastor. And I would say that most of them are uh, justified. Obviously, you don't want a pastor that's like out here, you know, doing you know, stupid things, you know, behind closed doors or whatever yeah. like that. But you know, and so for me, as you know, being a young pastor, that's still a journey that I'm on. Yeah. I understand, like, you know, from a biblical sense, it does say in the Bible that, you know, you know, leaders in the church will be, you know, judged, you know, um, you know, judged harshly or not harshly, but, you know, like have More, higher expectations, yeah. right. higher standards. And I get that. And so this is not a way for me to, like, just, you know, live a wild life and then, you know, turn around and be a pastor. That's not what I'm saying. But. You know, I think I think you can agree with me. I'm sure that you know I don't necessarily fit kind of the whatever mold people want me to be as a pastor, right? And so for me, I just always I think for me, what would make me a good pastor is that I'm authentically myself, yeah. right? If I'm not who who people know Abe to be, then I'm obviously just faking it or I'm just doing it to satisfy what people. Um, want me to be or you know or want me to dress like talk like whatever right right and so um yeah i don't know for whatever reason i just kind of wanted to kind of share that piece yeah and um i think i think 
I think one side of it is are, are kind of me venting, but then the other side is me just being super honest about my journey. And, you know, this is something that I'm going, that I know that I'll be or continuing to face, you know, mm. for probably the rest of my, I guess, ministry career, if that's what you want to call it. And yeah. so, um, but yeah, to all the pastors out there, especially the young ones like myself, I want to encourage you guys to always be yourself because, you know, God has given, you know, you know, each and every one of us a unique personality and gifts and, you know, things that we bring to the table. And I think from, in my opinion, it would be a shame for me not to bring those gifts and talents to the table in my role as a pastor, because that's what ultimately is going to make me the pastor that I believe God wants me to be. And so, you know, if God has given you certain gifts and strengths and things, not just as a pastor, but whatever, whoever's listening, whatever, you know, job you're in, you know, I really hope and pray for you that we can all be authentically ourselves. Mm. And, you know, we're all going to make mistakes, whether you're a pastor or not, you're not perfect, right? We're not, yeah. We're not Jesus himself. You know, we're all trying to be like Jesus, but, you know, many of us will fall short. And so I think it's just understanding to be gracious towards one another, especially your leaders in the church. And obviously right now with, with COVID and a pandemic, I think being a pastor is already hard enough. Mm. But now it's just another huge layer and hurdle that we have to get over of trying to minister and pastor to people that we literally can't see physically yeah. right and so um so yeah just really praying for all the uh, pastors out there but also everybody just to continue to grow into the person that i you know that, that god wants you to be and continue to do your best in whatever role you're in so that's yeah. just kind of my last my last word my encouragement to everybody yeah no hey thanks so much for that um and thanks for yeah. the honesty and the vulnerability in that because that's man that's so good but just to um clarify um mm -hmm. what for me when i think of you i don't think of like <laughs> you as a like a negative right, like, right, right. like i when i when i think oh abe's not really pastorly i mean more like fresh you know, because like right. a lot of like when you think of pastor, you think of a very like just monotone kind of really slow moving kind of boring person. <laughs> but like you're, yeah, you're yeah, very yeah. fresh, you're very high energy. And I'm sure your youth group students really appreciate that. Um, and, yeah. you know, I know your heart, you know, you've been in you've been serving even before you were in like the, your leadership ministry, pastor role or whatever. You know, you you mm -hmm. you always had the heart to you know serve and, and all that. So. Yeah, I hope I hope I wasn't discouraging because no, 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 no. Yeah. absolutely not, absolutely not. Yeah, because I just I, I, I just wanted to bring that up though because I know yeah. that it's something that I uh, battle with internally, and mm. I just think you know I'm not gonna I'm not gonna come on this podcast and just kind of like brush things off and not you know be yeah. open about things like that. And so I think that's you know I think that's a struggle that probably a lot of young pastors like myself mm. who have been doing this for like less than you know five years probably still struggle and, and maybe there's older pastors or even senior pastors who who still struggle with this idea of kind of you know being what you know people in your life want you to be or the way you should kind of go about your leadership role so mm. i think it was more of a personal thing but also i think an, an encouragement to anybody listening who is a pastor specifically that i hope that you know that that's not the road that we go down because you know, like you said, you know, being a pastor is very difficult. And if yeah. we if we as pastors are in this for the long haul, we got to do it in the most healthy way possible, because right. then you hear a lot of pastors who who 
who the term that we like to use a lot, you know, they get burnt out, right? Mm. They get burnt out from a lot of things. Mm. And obviously there's a lot of factors that go into that. It's not just of the specific topic that I'm mentioning, but I think that's more than half the battle is that like a lot of people feel like they just can't be themselves because mm. of, I don't know, expectations of parents, of, um, you know, senior leadership, whatever it is, right? There's, there's, yeah. there's different um, issues that everyone faces, but... Yeah, for me, for myself, if I'm going to, you know, be a healthy and, and you know, good pastor for a very long time, I have to, you know, continue to be authentic, continue to be honest and express kind of what I'm going through. Because I think a lot of pastors are really hush-hush about their issues. And right. I never want to I never want to be that. I never want to just be like, oh, I'm fine oh, because I'm a pastor. I'm just going to figure it out. I'm just going to I'm just going to pray it out and I'll be fine. It's like, mm. no, that's not. That's not healthy, at least in my opinion. And I think, no, for sure. Yeah, I think you have to continue to have those tough conversations and continue to grow. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and I want to encourage you. Um, I, I don't think you becoming a pastor just when I observe your heart, um, from knowing your heart, it was a surprise. Um, and I think, yeah, your freshness and your your high energy, your hype man tendencies um, <laughs> will serve you very well, um, especially yeah. in, in youth ministry. And even for mm -hmm. your peers around you, I think you bring a new level of like passion and energy to like everyone you come in contact with. So mm -hmm. um, yeah, I, I encourage you, I, I'm glad you brought it up. I encourage you to keep being you, like authentically you, because yeah. I think God really, uh, yeah, that's probably why he called you into ministry to, to yeah. bring that freshness into a, uh, into ministry yeah, yeah. thanks well, bro i appreciate it man yeah man um hey it yes, was sir. so nice talking to you thank you so much for being open um and you know just talk talking through you know all the struggles like you've you've gone through in life um i think it's going to be really encouraging to people you know, going through similar things so um i, I thank you so much um mm -hmm. and if anyone out there um, wants to connect with a or has any questions um feel free to uh, message me at ihthdpodcast at gmail.com or on Instagram at I hope to hear this or on Twitter at IHTHC podcast. Um, cause yeah, I'll, I'll be the gatekeeper. Um, I, I won't let any crazies <laughs> get through, but, uh, um, yeah, cause I'm sure, um, yeah, you're, you're a good guy to know. Um, I think in Atlanta, especially, um, Thanks, cause, cause like you were saying, you are true Atlanta boy. So <laughs> yes, yeah, true to Atlanta. <laughs> yeah. Even though I was born in Jersey, I always, always <laughs> love Atlanta first just because, I grew up here, so I always support Atlanta teams only. Then, <laughs> actually, I, I'm going to ask you a question. It might it might be a little hurtful, but um, <laughs> after seeing Atlanta sports teams do all the things that they've done, like how yeah, how do you remain a royal uh, loyal uh, Atlanta sports fan? <laughs> I honestly, I honestly don't know. I think it's. Uh, <laughs> I think loyalty can sometimes be a blessing and a curse. I think right now it's, it's more of the latter. It's a curse. We just, you just keep getting your hopes up and you just keep getting disappointed more and more each time. Uh, but I always joke that it's just teaching me to be patient, teaching me to be loyal, uh, teaching me to... Perseverance. Yeah, persevere. I think, yeah. it's, I think it's growing me as a person, man, as, <laughs> as a pastor, as a, as a husband now, as a leader. I think it's, I think it's grooming me, you know? I just try to look at look at it in that way, mm -hmm. um, but all jokes aside, um, I can't wait for the day where one day, hopefully in my lifetime, we 
we break through the curse and we win something big. Um, I know a lot of people um, give me crap because they're huge soccer fans and Atlanta yeah. United won a few years ago. Yeah. But I always shut that down really fast. I'm like, yeah, soccer's only been around. Or, or at least the Atlanta team's only been around for a few years. So it yeah. doesn't, to me, it doesn't count. And I know I'll get a lot of flack for that. But for me, the main sports are obviously basketball, baseball, and football. Mm. So until we win one of those three, I will not uh, admit that Atlanta has a championship through MLS. Even though I, I kind of support United, not really. I just don't watch soccer at all. Mm. So I can't really say that I uh, take credit for that or take pride in that. So yeah. Braves, Falcons, and Hawks, if you guys are listening, please uh, put this loyal fan out of his misery and win <laughs> something so that everybody can be quiet about Atlanta being the most <laughs> cursed sports uh, city in the world, which mm. I can't argue at this moment. <laughs> Hopefully one day when that sweet moment comes, uh, everybody will eat their words and we'll we'll all be celebrating. So yeah. I'm just looking forward to that day, whenever that day is. Yeah, hopefully you know, in my lifetime. Hopefully, I would argue that uh, the Braves not making it to the World Series and not winning this year was mm-hmm. better because can you imagine being there being a parade for them, but like no one can go out because of the the quarantine lockdowns, right? So yeah. Maybe yeah, hey, that's true, and that'd be hard for me because you know me. I would be like running, running up and down the street, and just like yelling and being excited. But knowing yeah. that I can't really participate would be kind of heartbreaking. So. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Well, so. Abe, thank you, thank you so much for your time today, bro. Um, it was really nice talking to you, and uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm sure the the listeners will get a lot out of this today. <laughs> Thanks, man. Yeah. You too, man. I'll talk to yeah. you soon. Appreciate yeah. you having me on. All right. Thanks, Abe. See you, bro. Bye.